0: You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hi,
1: I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor. From Equestrian Women, and you're listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and
2: sustain a successful business. On today's show, we speak with Jessica Eves-Matthews, about what business owners should know about trademarks and intellectual property. Jessica Eves Matthews is an award-winning trademark and intellectual
1: property attorney who has been practicing law for over 27 years, both in-house and in private practice. Her innovative, creative, and entrepreneurial spirit has helped business owners and businesses create, protect, and monetize their brands, copyrights, and intellectual property assets. Jessica has spent her legal career representing businesses of all sizes, from solopreneurs to Fortune 500 companies and some of the most successful entrepreneurs in the world. She was the head of litigation and compliance for Paul Allen, the co-founder of Microsoft. Jessica graduated magna cum laude from Seattle University School of Law, where she was editor in chief of the Seattle University Law Review. Jessica received her Bachelor of Arts from the University of New Mexico. She practices regularly in front of the United States Patent and Trademark Office for clients in all 50 states and around the world.
2: In addition to her legal accomplishments, Jessica has had 19 years of experience launching and overseeing diverse business ventures, including Anne Capelle Equestrian Apparel, a joint venture with her daughter, and the premier peer network and business accelerator for women entrepreneurs, just to name two. She is also the co author of the number one best selling book, Wonder Women How Western Women Will Save the World, has been featured on MSNBC, Oprah Magazine, Forbes.com, NBC. Oxygen, Allure Magazine, and is the Silver Stevie Award winner for Female Entrepreneurs of the Year 2012. Jessica lives in the San Diego area with her daughter, eight horses, and three dogs. When not working, Jessica and her daughter are either riding, showing, or just being with their horses on their horse farm, traveling, let's face it, usually for horses, or watching Marvel or Star Wars movies or the series for the umpteenth time.
1: Hi Jessica, thanks so much for joining us today.
0: Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah, um, you know we we love talking to experts about things that business owners should know, and I think you're definitely an expert on um, trademark and uh, intellectual property law. So um, I think that is. Maybe a topic people don't talk enough about or know enough about even to know where to get started. Um, so we're excited
2: to kind of share that information and help people learn more. Awesome. I'm, I'm really interested in it. And I wanted to know, how did you become interested in this line of work?
0: Well, so uh, as far as being a lawyer in general, I think I was indoctrinated in the womb. because <laughs> My dad is a lawyer. <laughs> And um, I feel like, he, you know, he spent my entire childhood encouraging me to consider uh, going into a profession like law. So I think I was always sort of predisposed to it. But um, one of the things I loved most in law school was anything related to business. Um, I was just fascinated with, you know, the, the laws and the legal system and how it was set up to protect um entrepreneurs and business owners and shareholders and um it just fascinated me and uh, I don't quite understand how but I ended up doing a lot of litigation work um right out of law school for quite a while I did business litigation but I didn't do transactional work and I'm not quite sure I you know I got a job at a big firm um right out of law school and I I think, you know, I got sucked into sort of this is prestigious job. And this, so I sort of got pulled into the direction of of litigation and trial work. Um, but I really wanted to be connected with business. I, I'm very entrepreneurial myself. And I actually started to launch my very first venture, um, which was a golf clothing line when I was a young lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always had that entrepreneurial drive and interest. So, um, it took me a number of years and actually it was when I started, I was the head of litigation and compliance for Paul Allen, who's the other founder of Microsoft. And so, um, that was fascinating to work for such a successful entrepreneur, um, mm-hmm. because it's his holding company. He's since passed, but, um, it was his holding company and, um, all of his ventures and investments were, you know, involved in that, um, in that entity, and so I got to basically work on literally everything that he had his fingers in, mm, cool. and um, yeah, I really got super excited at that point, and I, I knew that I could add value to entrepreneurs, and I also understood I, you know, I would be on a call with a big New York City law firm on behalf of Paul, and they, you know, have five partners on the call with me each billing $900 to $1,000 an hour. So, you know, an hour phone call was $5,000 an hour. Um, And I started to feel like I want to make it possible for solo business owners and startups and small um, companies to be able to afford quality legal services. So that's when I really started getting passionate about helping smaller businesses. and yeah. um, so that's when I launched the version of the firm that I have now. Um, this was back in 2008. and um, and as I got more involved, I did everything. contracts, um, you know, advising on you know your internet presence and what your liabilities are, social media, uh, you know, all different types of contracts, manufacturing, everything. Um, but I got more and more interested in IP, intellectual property. And so it just sort of naturally happened. And Paul had a lot of IP. I did a lot of copyright work. I did Mm -hmm. art law for him. I actually ended up teaching an art law and copyright class at a law school um, in Seattle for a couple of years. So IP has been something I've been interested in a long time. But my favorite thing is helping entrepreneurs and business owners protect their intellectual property because. And I'm sure we'll talk about this today, but it is absolutely the most important thing as you're building a business. If you don't have a solid foundation for your IP, um, you really are undercutting the potential of your business and on um, also the health of your business. So I, I just love it. I feel like it's one of the most positive, hopeful things that I can do um, mm-hmm. as a career uh, in helping other people build their dreams. It's, it's really fun. I really enjoy it.
2: I it, love that. Yeah, you know, it's funny because um, one summer I took a summer course uh, at Utica College in New York. And that was my summer course was business law. And I've never thought of being a lawyer, but like, that was one of my courses I had to take. It was my favorite class and I did the best in it. But you know, yeah, it was, it's super interesting. Like, like you said. It is, right?
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I think people think it's dry, but it's actually, (laughs) it's so interesting.
2: (laughs) Yeah. We had a a judge and he was the one who taught the class and he was great. You know, I think Mm. that also helps when you have a great teacher, but I was like, Oh yeah. No, I'm never going to be a lawyer. So. <laughs> <laughs> <I know. laughs> this is a great class. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> I
1: took the LSAT and I applied to law school. Oh, you but did? Yeah. It just was not in the cards for me either. No.
0: Yeah. Well, that's okay. I, look at what you're doing now. Like this is incredible. <laughs> Thank you.
1: I'm not billing a thousand dollars an hour. No,
0: though. <laughs> neither am I. <laughs>
2: So, so you mentioned that you, you, um, started a golf clothing line, and then you're a lawyer as well. And there's a couple of other ventures that you have on the side, correct? Mm-hmm,
0: correct. Yeah. I, I'm i a serial entrepreneur and um, I think it's made me a, a much better lawyer. I, and most lawyers don't have experience. I call it experience on the other side of the conference table, but you know, mm-hmm. most lawyers don't know what it's like to actually launch a business, um, except for maybe a law firm. But most lawyers don't even have their own law firms. Most lawyers mm-hmm. are working for someone else. And, um, I just always had the bug, you know, my grandfather was an entrepreneur and my dad, my dad's a lawyer, but he is very entrepreneurial. My brother's an entrepreneur. It's definitely in my blood. So I've launched a golf clothing line. I've launched, um, a beauty line called intoxicating beauty, which was a subscription box model. This was a number of years ago, um, where I, I, we basically sought out up and coming startup and boutique organic skincare and beauty brands and included them in the box it got really big really fast but it's not it uh financially none of these brands wanted to do samples and so it got very expensive Mm -hmm. uh so i did i actually did not end up pursuing it because it just uh financially i could see where we were headed and it was just not it was going to be tough to keep the subscription model thing going but Mm -hmm. um uh, yeah. And then my, and then my most, re- and I've done other ventures, like I actually launched um, an accelerator program for women entrepreneurs with a dear friend of mine years ago. And we ran that for several years, um, teaching women how to launch and grow their businesses.
1: That's great.
0: Yeah. And Very then cool. um, my most recent one, aside from law is on Kapal Equestrian. And I launched that with my daughter and that is an equestrian apparel brand. And mm-hmm. um, right now we focus on shirts that are made of recycled, water bottles um, and we donate a portion of, of our profits to ocean cleanup efforts and um, really proud of that brand. So we got big plans for that one for the future, but yeah, so I, I've definitely done a lot of launching and um, it's, it's been a, an amazing experience to inform how I advise my clients because I know what they're going through. Mm-hmm. It's been yeah. really, really good.
2: And you also ride and have horses.
0: Yes. Uh, So my Mm -hmm. daughter is really the big writer. She is one of the, she's a top uh, young writer in the U.S. Um, Catherine Matthews, Kate Matthews. um, She actually went on the European tour last summer and represented Mm -hmm. the U.S. and won two bronze medals in um, Hagen, Germany. And she won a gold medal in NAYC uh, last summer, not 22, sorry, 2021. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, so she's kind of the She's like the, the big time rider in the family, but I've been riding since I was four and, um, and I love it. We have a horse farm in San Marcos, California, basically San Diego. And, uh, we have, uh, let's see, 10 personal horses. Um, and yeah, it's just, I feel so lucky that we get to live this lifestyle and be around these amazing animals every day.
2: So how do you balance all of that?
0: It's not easy. Um, and, and I will say, you know, we, our farm, um, we've had it for four years now and we ran it as a boarding business. Um, and that is very time consuming. So that makes it very hard to do other things. It's I consider it sort of like a jealous mistress, as they say. Um, so running a boarding business is tough. We actually went private and um, took a break from the boarding business this last year, which has really been nice. Although we may not, we may bring some borders back in. I don't know. We're, we're contemplating that, but, um, but it's not easy to do it all. I mean, I'm very lucky. I have an amazing staff. I could not do it without our team here. Um, They are just incredible. So it's definitely a, it takes a village (laughs) to do what Mm -hmm. I do.
1: (laughs) And so going to, you know, the, the topic at hand with trademarks, um, knowing you know, your background in business and and your passion for it. Uh, Can you explain what it means to get a trademark and um, you know, why someone would need it?
0: Yeah. So a trademark um, and when we talk about getting a trademark, we're talking about the process of registering a trademark. So, Mm -hmm. um, and what I do is we're talking about on the federal level in the United States or in other countries. Mm -hmm. um, And, Basically, it is protecting your brand. So, you know, your trademark could take several different forms. It could be the name of your business. Um, it could be your logo. It could be a tagline like Nike's just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be even a sound like Intel's bum, 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 bum. That's, mm-hmm. uh, trademarked. Because anything that is an indicator of the source of goods or services is considered a brand. Mm -hmm. Um, Even colors like Tiffany's color blue is trademarked because that is a source indicator, right? So the whole point behind the trademark act, the Lanham act in the United States is, and it's the same in every country is that we are protecting. It's twofold. One is we're protecting creators and, and entrepreneurs, right? So that, you know that if you launch something, there are protections in place to keep people from copying what you're doing and and profiting off of your ideas and, and your brand. Um, on the flip side, it's also a consumer protection mechanism because it helps people know, you know, who am I buying from? And, and that helps not only, uh, you know, just... So you know who you're buying from, but also if there's something goes wrong, you know who to go to, to, Mm -hmm. to be made whole, right? If something goes wrong. So it's really a twofold thing. And with trademark, we're trying to create a brand generally. um, And this is what I help people do that is not going to be confused with any other brands. That's kind of the main consideration is what you don't want is you don't want your brand to be weak so that other people confuse your brand with another and right. they might accidentally buy from someone else thinking they're buying from you. So yeah. the key is building something that is unique, um, as unique as possible. So that's why, you know, like Starbucks, totally strong brand name. And I think the thing that um, that people don't understand is often uh, I hear entrepreneurs advising each other about how to pick a brand name. The worst thing you could do is pick a name that describes what you do. If it describes what you do, it's likely not going to be something you can trademark because other businesses are going to end up using that phrase probably just in the course of their copy on their website or their marketing materials. They're not meaning to infringe upon your mark. And so the trademark office is probably not going to give you a trademark in that because it would really restrain other people from using what is really, you know, a phrase or a buzz phrase in the industry. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you, Starbucks is great because you can't tell from the name what it is. You can't tell that that's a coffee company. Um, So that's great. Uh, And, you know, they chose the name based on a character in uh, Moby Dick Uh, and, Mm -hmm. um, and it's just totally memorable, right? Like you you would never confuse Starbucks with any other brands. So that's what makes a really strong brand name. So, um, so what we're talking about is, is how, what I do is I help people make sure, first of all, that their brand is strong. Um, and that's really where my expertise comes in because I can help people look at it and say, you know, you're going to get registration or you're not. And here's why here are the brands that are confusingly similar to yours. Cause I can do, you know, I do really extensive research for my clients. Mm. Um, And I work with clients to help them craft a brand that they can own exclusively. And, you know, they're not at risk of infringing on other marks. So, um, so really what we're talking about is this federal registration with the trademark office. Now, I think you also asked me why, like, what's the benefit of having Mm -hmm. this? Um, The benefit is that you can own it exclusively. You can prevent others from copying you or creating something confusingly similar. And part of that prevention is you can get what's called an injunction. So if you have a registered trademark, you have the ability to go to court and stop someone from using uh, branding that is confusingly similar to yours. Because that, you know, you can, it's basically assumed that if it's confusingly similar, you're going to lose business over it potentially. And so you can shut that down. That's probably the most important remedy uh, that you get, and you only get that remedy if you have a registered trademark. You can't if you ha- if you don't register your mark, you don't have that. The other thing is you can get um, you can basically if if another brand is copying you, infringing on your mark, you can go after them for profits that they gained from having infringed mm-hmm. on your mark. And again, that is only available to registered mark holders. Um, and and also by being in the federal database, other people who are Launching brands can search and find your brand and know that it's already that name and phrase yeah. is already taken so there's all re so many reasons why it's important to get a federally registered mark um. And that doesn't matter if you plan to stay small or if you want to, you know, if you have sort of like global domination mm-hmm. <laughs> as your goal, uh, a, a registered trademark is, is vital to building a brand that you can own. And also, if you ever want to get investors or if you want to sell your brand, if you have not secured your intellectual property rights uh, in an official way, that's going to be a real problem. You're going to have a hard time getting investors to to invest in your company. They certainly won't take you seriously as a business person. Um, And if you want to sell, no one's going to buy a company or a business that doesn't own its trademarks. Now, that's also true with other types of intellectual property, copyrights, um, patents, if they're relevant to your business. All of those things must be secured. Uh, And when I say secured, I mean registered with the U.S. government um, in order for you know, you to be taken seriously in that space as well. So all of those things are really important. Um, it's kind of a non-negotiable in my opinion for any business. Yeah.
1: Are you able to tell us what the first trademark was that you worked on?
0: You know, you asked me that and I was racking my brain. Um, I can't remember. I've done so many since then. (laughs) It might've been, it might've been my golf clothing line. Honestly, I think it probably was. I, that would make sense. Cause that was before, I mean, I was still doing litigation work back then. So, um, that probably would have been the very first one is Grace and game, my golf line.
2: (laughs) Cool. Yeah. So what would you say the first step to building the brand is, you know, like, Mm. you know, as far as trademarking and that, like, where, where do people start?
0: Yeah. Well, so my hope, like my favorite thing is to get involved, um, with brands when they're launching, like that's the Mm. ideal time to really be looking at these issues. Um, I really love it when I can get in there and actually help uh, a a company or a business owner avoid problems by picking a name that they can just run with.
2: Um,
0: And so as you're like, if you're launching a business and you haven't consulted with an experienced trademark lawyer, you're taking a big risk and there, you know, there's so much information out there that is misleading and there's companies, um, you know, like legal zoom that, that give you the impression that what they offer you is of the equal value mm-hmm. as what you would get from a lawyer. And it's really scary because, I mean, you know, you wouldn't know unless you were a lawyer, I would encourage you to read the terms and conditions on any website like that to see what yeah. they're disclaiming, because, Um, websites like that can't give you legal advice. And so basically they're just serving as a scribe. Um, You're telling them what to put on your application. They're not reviewing it. They're not giving you feedback. Yeah. And so you're basically paying, you know, 200 bucks for the pleasure of letting them, uh, you know, put in the form what you could have done yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Like it doesn't add (laughs) any value at all. Uh, you could just go to, if you're going to do it yourself. You could just go to the USPTO and do it yourself on the website and save yourself that money. But um, but having a good trademark lawyer, they can help you strategize. They can help you make sure that your brand is one you can own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, I love that's why I love to get involved as early as possible. But I will say a big majority of the clients that I work with um, are pretty far down the road. You know, they've been in business for several years. They've got a brand. They've got a client base and. Um, and, but it's not too late. Uh, even then it's important if you haven't secured a trademark to do it for all the reasons we talked about, because you don't have protection otherwise. Yeah. And, um, and you know, there are times that I have to break the bad news to a client and say, look, I know you've been operating for five years. You've got a loyal customer base, but you you're infringing on somebody else's mark and you're lucky they haven't hit you with a cease and desist letter yet but it could be coming, and you need to rebrand before you lose control of of the situation, right? Because once litigation is it started against you, it's very hard to get out of it, and it's very yeah. expensive. So, um, I've had you know a number of clients that that have to rebrand, and sometimes it's just a, it's 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 a small tweak um, that makes the difference. But if you're not consulting with a really experienced trademark lawyer, um, you know you don't even realize the risks you're facing because the thing is let's put it this way. If you don't consult with a trademark lawyer and then you go down the road and somebody sends you a cease and desist, they come after you. They say you're infringing. You have to hire a lawyer to defend yourself. And you're going to spend tens of thousands of dollars just in that process of litigation. There's no way to avoid that. Right. And then if you lose, you're going to have to pay potential profits to the other company. And you're going to have to rebrand anyways, because part of what will happen in that litigation is you will be ordered to change your branding, right? The order will involve saying you can no longer infringe on this other mark. So you're going to be tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in the hole, you could have just spent a little bit of money up front to pay for a good trademark lawyer and to pay to rebrand. It's way cheaper to do that than it is to find yourself in litigation. So, um, I know it's sometimes a painful topic, but it is really, really smart to address this no matter where you are in your business. The first step is calling a trademark lawyer.
1: Okay. Yeah. No, that's really important information for people to have because, you know, I think a lot of people, if they hear that, you know, it's best to do it when you're starting a business and they're like, well, I already have a business. So I'll just keep going with what I'm doing. Right. And don't realize you still need to do it no matter where you are in that process.
0: Correct. And the longer yeah. you delay, the more profits you make off that brand, yeah. the bigger the liability is. You know, no news is not necessarily good news in the trademark world, right? Like Right,
1: cuz it could pop up anytime. Any day,
0: right? And yeah. then all of a sudden, um you're in a defensive posture and mm-hmm. Oh, it's just hard. I hate to see clients go through that. It's heartbreaking. So I'm I'm sort of on a mission. I want to educate and this is the way I've been my whole career. I want to educate business owners, and particularly women entrepreneurs, I'm very passionate about Mm -hmm. empowering and and educating them to to just be smart, like know what your risks are. And of course, everything's a trade-off, right? Like in in business and as an entrepreneur, I know this having done it myself is that sometimes you take calculated risks, but it's important to understand the risk you're taking Mm -hmm. and the potential costs financially and otherwise to your business. And, um, and no you know it's it's got to be an educated decision you don't want to be uh operating out of ignorance so yeah it's important to to get the information you need to make an educated decision about your business
2: right i think you kind of touched on this before but why would you say that the brand is the most as- the most important asset to the business
0: well because um let's look at it this way if you and i i always use starbucks as an example um but and that's partly because the product that Starbucks sells is pretty generic, right? It's coffee. Mm-hmm. Like you can get coffee beans and make coffee. And you can make coffee at home that's as good as Starbucks, if not better. Some people hate Starbucks because they <laughs> they feel like they burn their beans or whatever. Mm-hmm. but but it's the brand. That matters, right? You know, I do keynote speeches on this and I have this little quiz where I'll put logos up without the the name of the brand and, and have everybody rapid fire, tell me what it is. And people know, like they instantly know when they see a logo, what brand it is. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, you don't just know the brand. You have an instant emotional reaction to the brand. So when I say Disney, you have an immediate, you don't just think, Cartoons and an amusement park. you immediately go, "Oh, Bambi or you know, frozen or you like whatever the movie is that you are passionate about, Cinderella, you have like memories connected to it. You maybe have family vacations connected to it. You have you know childhood memories of sitting on you know the, your couch with your family watching the movie. Whatever it is, you've got an emotional because you've had an experience with the brand. And that's as business owners, as entrepreneurs, that's what you want to do is create an experience and replicate it, right? So on the business side, you need to understand who your target audience is. You need to understand what you want their experience to be with your brand. And then you need to work to systematize that so it's consistent, right? Every time. And Starbucks has that down. Disney has that down. Um, McDonald's has that down, right. They know what people are coming to them for, mm-hmm. and they are super consistent in providing that experience. It has nothing to do with the product, right? Like McDonald's hamburgers are not the best hamburgers in the world. People go there for a different reason. Right. Yeah. And, and so that's what your brand is attached to is the emotional reaction and the experience that people begin to expect from your brand. Um, also we're very tribal as people, right? And so there are brands that we want to associate with like Apple, right? Mm -hmm. There's like a bunch of people that are big Apple people. I'm one of them. (laughs) Um, and, and in fact, I have a PC computer and an Apple and I, I am always pulling my hair out with a PC computer because it's just not the way my brain is wired. Mm -hmm. I'm an Apple person. And, and that's Apple is a very tribal brand, right? People want to like identify with it. So, um, and that's, you know, there are brands like that, like even just like clothing companies where, yeah. you know, you associate with that brand, you know, cars. like look at cars, <laughs> right? I mean, everything <laughs> has their own little community and, and horses are even the same. I mean, dressage has a tribe Yeah, and, and so you want, what you want as a brand is to have your clients and customers associate that, that tribal feeling, I mean, that's when you really have hit the jackpot as a brand is when you yeah. have a tribe around your brand. Um, without a trademark, without a strong brand, and without a trademarked brand, you don't have that foundation, right? Mm-hmm. If you took the Starbucks brand off of the Starbucks cups, but you're saving the you're serving the exact same coffee, but you put a different brand on the cup, it's not going to have the same. Uh, reaction, right? You're, and that it's not, you can't just like go across the street and launch the exact same product and expect to have the success that Starbucks has because Starbucks has spent a lot of money and time and effort in developing the experience of the brand, which if you haven't read, um, he wrote a biography on autobiography years ago about Starbucks. It's very interesting. The whole point of the brand was the experience of it. He wanted to bring the experience of the Italian, you know, cafe to America Um, and so if you don't have, so as your brand grows, right. And your clients or customers begin to associate your brand with a certain tribe or identity or experience, emotional experience, then it is the brand itself that, that is where your value is, right. It's not the product. Now, if you have a great product that matters too, and that could be part of what makes your brand so special. Um, but the brand itself is what becomes, it's the goodwill associated with the brand that becomes the most important asset that you have as a business. And the more successful you are, uh, the more powerful that is. So if you don't secure your trademarks, um, you're going to have people, first of all, trying to piggyback off of your goodwill, right? They're going to create competing brands and you're not Mm going to be able to stop them. Uh, The more successful you are, the more a target you are. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of reasons why your brand becomes the most important asset in your business. If you have any kind of success, there's no question that that is the most important asset. And that's why if you went to sell the brand and you hadn't secured your trademarks, that would be problematic, right? That could kill the deal because they're buying your goodwill. They're buying the brand and the goodwill, not just the product or the services that you're offering.
1: Right. And I think you touched on this um, before, in what specifically should an entrepreneur have trademarked? I mean, Mm. you know, is it a a business name, uh, a tagline, things like that? Can you talk a little bit about what can be trademarked?
0: Yeah. I mean, anything that you want to have associated with your brand as a source identifier can be trademarked, uh, including packaging. But I think the the way I advise my clients is the first thing to always start with is the word mark itself, like the name. So Mm -hmm. Starbucks, the word with no design attached to it, right? Just Mm -hmm. the plain text version of the word. That's going to have your broadest protection because it means you own the word or the phrase and you can use it however you want. And and how you use it, the design you attach to it isn't relevant. Um, You own it no matter what. Uh, so the word mark is the broadest, and that's if you can get the word mark, you should always get that one first and foremost. Mm-hmm. The logo is almost as important because, as you know, that's what people begin to associate, right? So as, as you get more successful, they look for the logo more than they look for the word mark. The logo is really uh, the identifier, so those two things are are really vital um, to securing your your trademark rights. But as I mentioned, your tagline could be just as important, like Nike's just do it. I mean, that Mm -hmm. was an incredibly powerful tagline, particularly in the 80s. Um, And so securing that is also important. I mean, most brands have a tagline, right? If you look at uh, like the big brands, um, it's so funny. My daughter has always had this ability to remember them. (laughs) Even when she was little, and I wish she was up here right now because I have her rattle off. She's got like taglines for all you know major companies that that advertise. Um, but yeah, so the tagline could be a really important part of your brand, and and uh, you, anything you don't want anybody to to steal or copy, mm-hmm. you want to trademark. And then, as I mentioned, sounds could be trademarked, uh, colors like Tiffany's blue packaging. So if you've got, you know, unique packaging, mm-hmm. um, the packaging itself becomes a source identifier, mm-hmm. then you can trademark that as well. So those are just some examples. And it's really not limited. It's really within your imagination as the entrepreneur mm-hmm. is how you present the brand to the world. And, and does that thing become identified with your brand? If somebody sees that thing or hears it, will they immediately know that's you? And if so, yeah. that can be trademarked.
1: Okay. And is it, do you present them all in one thing under your company or is it all separate trademarks?
0: They're all separate trademarks. And in okay. fact, you have to file a separate application for each one. Okay. Uh, the trademark office doesn't. It, it's interesting. In other countries, they will let you combine like your logo and your wordmark into one mm-hmm. application and they don't do that in the US. So, um, in the US, you would have to apply two separate times for your logo word mark and your logo. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just kind of the way they have the system set up. Even so if, if you you're, look like if your
1: logo has your word mark in it.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So that's a good question. So because a lot of people think, well, if I just do the logo, I'll have the word mark and the design. But mm-hmm. the logo is limited, the logo trademark is limited to that exact design. And so if you change it slightly, or if you ever rebrand,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you don't have protection in the new design. As so you have to get a fit, new one. You have to get a new one. That's good Which is know. why you want to own the word mark with no design attached, because then you never lose your rights in the word or phrase itself. Yeah. Right. No matter how often you rebrand. Okay. Um, and the and the other thing is, is once you uh, register a trademark, you have to use it exactly as it's registered. Because one of the requirements is that you use the mark in commerce continuously forever. Yeah. Once you stop using it, the mark as registered, um, you, ha- you risk losing your rights. So you can you can basically be deemed to have not been using it. And therefore, somebody could actually petition to cancel your trademark and try to steal it from you. Uh-huh. So there's actually maintenance on the back end once you get registration, which is another thing most business owners don't understand. Yeah. Um, And so it's very important that if possible, you own the word or phrase with no design. That way you always own that regardless of what your branding looks like. Okay. And just know if you ever make changes or if you ever, you know, say you have a logo and you've got like a icon on top and the word underneath the icon. If you ever use the icon on the left and the word next to it, that's not your logo. That's not the Uh trademark logo. So using that as your logo, you're not using the registered logo. And so mm-hmm. then you're you're at risk of losing the registered logo. Wow. So if you want to use the different version, you have to file mm-hmm. another application to protect that or different both. variation of the logo,
1: right? Yeah, because I think a lot of people would not think, they think as long as it's together, it's the same thing, right. but... Right.
0: It has to be exactly wow. like the art that you provide to the trademark office.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: Even the font has to say the same, like everything. And the colors... Well, you can file to have your mark be, that's a great question. You can file to have your mark be black and white. So mm-hmm. you, say, you basically say we're not claiming color as yeah. a part of this trademark. And that gives you the freedom to at least change colors. Okay. Um, so uh, yeah, I always try to get my clients to not claim color because it's broader than if you claim mm-hmm. color. Okay. Yeah, that's a great question.
2: So you me- before you mentioned copyrights and patents and trademarks, are those all? They're all different. They're right? all different. And, yeah. And is that something that somebody should have all of?
0: Um, most businesses probably have a need for copyrights and trademarks. Not every business has a need for patents. Okay. Um, they're all they all serve different purposes, and they all, so patents are uh, the hardest to get, um, and they tend to protect um, inventions, right? uh, mm-hmm. technical inventions, medical, chemical inventions, like drugs, uh, formulations of things, um, mechanical, uh, mechanical. Things, right? yeah, yeah. And, and there are design patents as well. Um, mm-hmm. so you can, yeah. you could get a design patent on something. It has to be unique. It has, it can't be like a, a it can't be derived from somebody else's design, right. It has mm-hmm. to be a, a new invention. Um, a lot of businesses would not qualify for patent protection and patent protection is limited. So the longest patent you could have lasts 20 years, some of them last only 15 or 10. And so I say you really need to have uh, a more broad approach to your intellectual property because copyright can protect a lot of the same things that a patent can in a different Mm way. And so and copyright lasts for um, the life of the inventor or creator plus seven 20 years. So you have a much longer timeline with copyright than you do patent. And so often you can get a patent and then layer a copyright on top of that. So at least for your um, invention or your creation, you people can't copy you for a really long time.
1: Yeah,
0: um, Trademark lasts forever. As long as you keep renewing it, you can maintain that forever. So you really need to look at all three. And that's, I would definitely talk to an intellectual property lawyer to determine, like if you create an app that is unique, potentially something about that might be patentable. If you create a new drug or, um, you know, uh, a new piece of equipment that mm-hmm. operates in a way that is, is, is novel, those things can be patented potentially. Um, so I would definitely talk to an intellectual property lawyer, you know, to make sure you're protected. Um, yeah. And then the other the other way to protect your so, and copyright I'll, I'll say also, copyright protects anything that you have put in tangible form that is uh, that is unique, that you created, right? Again, so it can't be um derived from somebody else. Uh, but you can copyright anything that is your unique creation. Um and copyrights can be anything from, I mean, obviously a book or any type of writing that you put down on paper or on a screen
2: audio, this the
0: podcast, obviously, is copyrightable photography, mm-hmm. architectural plans, maps, um, uh, any of those types of things um, can be copyrighted. And so they're all really important. I think copyright and trademark probably apply to everybody to some extent. I mean, you can copyright, for example, your website, you can copyright mm-hmm. all the copy on your website, you can copyright even the layout of your website if it's unique like if you're using somebody's template like wix or wordpress you can't copyright that but if you designed it you could copyright that as well hmm. so um yeah all of those are important um and and your ip you know i say that your trademark is your most important asset but copyright could be really important too and, and patent could be vital like if you're creating something that is unique and you're trying to get to market and you don't want anybody to reverse engineer your unique design mm-hmm. patent becomes extremely important. So it really depends on your type of business um, but all three can come into play.
1: And um, are there failures when it comes to trademarking? Obviously you could get turned down for your yeah. trademark, right? Um, and I think that's probably where an expert and a lawyer comes in play to really make sure you're you're doing the best you can in the very first time that you apply, right?
0: Exactly. I think the biggest issue that I deal with in my practice is people that either went to a company like LegalZoom or similar because they thought they were getting some kind of guidance, right? Because yeah. that's kind of the impression they give you. Um, or they do it on their own, right? They're like, oh, I can do this. And they get on the USPTO website and they apply and then they get a refusal from the trademark office. And then you know, responding to the refusals takes some expertise. And so often people will come to me after they've done their own filing and now they're in trouble because they've been refused and the trademark office gives you an opportunity to respond, but they don't know how to respond. Mm -hmm. So um, the biggest issues that come up with that type of refusal are they didn't um, include the right class of goods or services. So you have to identify the class or goods or services that you're operating under. They didn't describe the goods or services appropriately mm-hmm. um, and maybe they didn't uh, put the mark in correctly. And then the other thing is you have to provide evidence of how you're using the mark in commerce. So a lot of people don't understand what that means. So they'll upload the logo, for example, as proof of use, and that's not sufficient. Um, the trademark office is looking very for, for very specific types of examples of use. Um, and so All of those things, they seem straightforward when you, if you try to apply by yourself, but they're not. And so having an expert advise you on that is going to help you prevent that type of failure. And some of those refusals that you get I mean, the biggest, the biggest refusal that you'll get is that there's a likelihood of confusion with an existing registered mark. Mm -hmm. And, and it is very hard to overcome that. Um, And so generally you have to go back to the drawing board if you get that, if you haven't been working with, with a lawyer that knows how to, how to navigate that type of objection. So yeah, yeah, those are the big ones. And, and again, I mentioned this earlier, uh, but when, if you name your business in a way that describes what you're offering, that's going to get rejected. And that happens a lot. Uh, And people apply on their own for a trademark thinking they're going to get it. And they think it's a strong mark, because people will be able to tell from the name what they do or what they sell. Mm -hmm. And that's actually the worst kind of trademark and they'll probably get rejected. And often they don't understand why. Um, so yeah, there's, there's just a lot of pitfalls, um, and sort of landmines along the way when you're, when you're trying to get registration and most people don't understand how to navigate those.
2: Okay. Do you think that people like trainers and riders that have, You know, built their own personal brands, um, even sports psychologists, other professions, Mm -hmm. you know, in the equine industry. Do they need to have trademarks? What advice would you give to them?
0: You know, I think it really depends on what they're doing and what their goals are. Mm -hmm. I think if you're just a trainer and you're not trying to build something like, let me give Oprah as an example. So, like, if you're just a trainer, your name is your trademark, right? That's what people associate with you. It's very hard to get a trademark in a given name um, without the name having some secondary meaning that's separate and apart from you as the individual. So there are people that succeed in this. Oprah is one, right? Because Oprah is her name, but now the the name Oprah is a brand and you associate Mm -hmm. it with something much bigger than just Oprah Winfrey but it takes years to get to that place where you can argue that you have enough distinctiveness with the name that it isn't just referring you to an individual person. So it's, it's a hard thing to overcome and it's really not worth it probably for most people. Now, if you are developing a, um, a platform, if you're developing a training technique, if you're, if there, if there's something else that you're doing that is going to become separate and apart from you as the individual, then it is worth it. If, if it's, if it's got your name in it, it's worth it to talk to a trademark lawyer about how you position yourself to acquire that distinctiveness and that takes a long-term strategy and documentation things you need to do types of press you need to seek out so that you have evidence that your brand has grown to a level of secondary meaning beyond you as the individual most trainers are not going to ever need to worry about that yeah. um, now if you provide services so say you're a trainer like a uh, like a someone who does like equine fitness um or say you're, um, uh, you know, maybe you're, maybe you've launched a a training program that has like online modules and training videos that can become a brand, right? So that's something that you probably want to trademark. Mm -hmm. But if you're just teaching in your arena every day, you're traveling to do clinics, I don't think it's necessary. Uh, It just really depends on sort of your big term, big picture plans for where you're headed.
2: How about farms, like farm names? Is yes. that something that's trademarkable? Yes,
0: absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and you should, because uh, first of all, you don't want anyone else out there copying your brand name. You don't want a bunch of farms that sound just like yours. So it's confusing for people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you've got a farm, whether you're boarding or you have training services or you're doing breeding, um, you are beginning, you're building um, a brand experience, right? Uh, and so... Uh, you want to protect that brand and the best time to protect it is when you're small. Um, Right. And, and that will deter people from, you know, trying to come up with like a similar name, something that might copy uh, what you're doing. So yeah, farm names, I think definitely important to get a trademark and easy. It's not hard to do. If you, if you Mm -hmm. do it right away and you make sure the name is something that's unique um, just get that done and make sure you maintain it properly.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, throughout your life with school and law school and litigation and businesses, how have horses helped you um, throughout, you know, all of these phases of your life?
0: Oh my gosh. Horses are my touchstone. You know, they're, they're kind of my North star. I, I, I would not have survived many periods of my life without my horses. I mean, I think about the little you know, Arabian gelding I had when I was eight <laughs> um, and and he was my best friend and, you know, just the hours I spent trail riding with him in the woods. I, I kind of wonder, like, I don't know how I was able to do the things I did as a kid. Uh, nowadays, it's, you know we can't do those things. I, I would disappear for hours on my yeah. horse when I was eight years old. And I don't know where my parents were, but I'm grateful <laughs> that I got to do it. Um, they just always been such an important part of my life. And I'm so grateful my daughter took to it because you just never know. I have so many friends that are, you know, they're horse people and their kids just didn't take to it, but <laughs> you know Kate is so far beyond me in skill set now and knowledge and um it's been amazing to share it so uh god what a gift horses have been at so many phases in my life i mean they keep me sane they keep mm-hmm. me i feel they're they're spiritual you know like when i'm having a really bad day all i have to do is go out and and just love on one of our horses and i just instantly feel grounded energized centered better about myself mm-hmm. um They're really magical creatures. I I can't imagine my life without them. And they've given me so many opportunities and my daughter. I'm so grateful for the opportunities we've been given.
1: Yeah. And I think it's cool how you've managed to, you know, A, keep them throughout your life, which I think is really difficult for a lot of women who have careers. And, And to be able to have other businesses that connect your love of horses with being an entrepreneur as well.
0: Well, you guys are doing the same, right? And Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's an incredible gift to be able to find a way to, uh, to, to do something in the equestrian and horse space as a, Mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur. And uh, I, I, I just feel so lucky every day that I get to do it, you know? And I mean, that's why I'm here. I know that's why you guys are here. I want to help other people do the same because it's, there's so much opportunity.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Well, um we had so much fun talking to you and learned a lot. I'm sure everyone <laughs> listening will. Um and at the end of each episode we
2: ask the same questions to each guest and Connor starts with the first. What is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their
0: lives? Oh, that's such a good one. Okay. So, um I have this this thing that I came up with. Um called guilt to gratitude. And I think as women, we tend to beat ourselves up a lot. Um, I think every woman that I know has a bit of a tendency We're I think we're very self-critical. Mm. Um, I think we're worriers. I think, you know, we're, I feel like women in general, we tend to be the nurturers and the caregivers um, of the planet <laughs> <laughs> and of our loved ones. And, you know, um, and so I think we feel a lot of, and I'm not saying men don't also feel their own burdens, but I think that we, we feel a lot of, uh, a lot on our shoulders a lot of the time. And generally we're juggling a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. Cause you know, maybe we have kids or elderly parents, or um, you know, we've got employees, we've got animals to care for. Uh, we've got, you know, money we need to earn to support our lives Uh, there's all, there's a bunch of pressure to be the best we can be and to be, you know, physically attractive and, you know, like the pressure on women is, is really crazy. Uh, and it comes from all sides. And, um, and so, uh, I used to have this sort of running, uh, thing of just negativity, right. And most of it directed to myself, And I learned a few years ago, like I came up with this for myself, I call it guilt of gratitude. So whenever a negative thought comes into my head, I I say, flip the coin. And I sort of think of it as flipping a coin. So I go from the negative thought, I turn the coin over and I say, what in this moment can I be grateful about? Mm -hmm. And I work to find there's got to be a nugget of something in that situation I can be grateful about. And it is miraculous. If you commit to that practice what it does for your mindset. And I think as women, in order to really do the things we want to do in the world, we have to get out of our own way. We have to stop being so self-critical. Mm-hmm. Um, and that for me has really helped me. So I would say it's the 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 focus on gratitude and don't be hard on yourself about the negative thoughts, but you know, acknowledge them, but then mm-hmm. say, okay, but what can I be grateful about? Um, it, it's very powerful if you try it. I encourage you to 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 see how it works.
2: That's awesome.
1: Yep. <laughs> and um, what is the best habit that keeps you motivated personally?
0: Um, I think that that's probably part of it. I think the biggest thing is that is my why, right? Remembering why I do the things that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter's been a huge motivator for me. I'm a single mom. Her dad and I divorced when she was two and a half. And Mm -hmm. I've been the um I've had sole custody. And uh making sure she's okay and making sure she's on a good path has really been my biggest motivator. So she's been my, my why really all these years. Um, so I think just knowing why you do the things you do, why they're important, and sort of what what you're doing them for, I think is it's that's what keeps me going, even when I'm really tired.
1: And reminding yourself of that,
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. What's your favorite horse movie?
0: Oh, that is a tough one. I, I think the Black Stallion is probably my <laughs> my favorite. Um, National Velvet is also one of my others. Um, I just love that movie. But there's so many. But I think I think the I was of. Uh, well, I mean, the Black Stallion books came out, you know, in the fifties, but the movie was made in the eighties and, and that was really my era. So I, I I think that that is um, that's probably it. The black stallion.
1: Yeah. And who would you recommend to be a future guest on this podcast?
0: Okay. So I, I would, there's two people. Can I recommend two people? Mm, Please. And I don't know if you've had them already on Um, one is Abby Newell. I don't know if you guys know Abby. Um, Of Equestrian management agency. She's had a fascinating career Mm -hmm. Um, and she represents Charlotte Desjardins and Carl Hester and others. And um, she came from the music business, music industry and a really interesting person. And uh, and then the other is someone who's actually a a good friend of mine. I don't know if you guys know Britta Peterson of the performance refinery. Um, She's out here in California. Britta is absolutely amazing. So she's a fitness guru, and she's developed a, a method for equestrians. And I mean, she, I, she is absolutely incredible. So she's, she's the one who sort of revolutionized the, uh, the use of resistance bands on your body when you're riding other people have started to copy her, but she was the first one to do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, she has like a whole program and those bands, that's like a whole other business. So she's got these two businesses. They're both really successful. She travels all over the country to teach clinics, um, my daughter and I just adore her. I, my daughter could not have done what she's done in the sport without Britta's help Hmm. on the, on the fitness and the PT side of things. So, um, she's built a really cool brand. She'd be somebody really interesting to talk to.
1: Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Well, um, Jessica, thank you so much for talking with us today. It was a pleasure. pleasure. (laughs) Oh, I so enjoyed
0: it. Thank you for having me. I just love what you guys are doing. Um, You guys are women after my heart. And um, (laughs) so thank you again for having me. I really, really had a good time.
1: Thank you. Are you an industry professional who has thought about writing a book? Bookending your business enhances credibility and creates powerful marketing opportunities. In-course publishing can bring your expertise to the printed page. As a hybrid publishing company, we partner with our authors through editing, designing, printing, and distribution. Don't leave opportunity on the shelf. Bookend your business today and let us bring your book into the unique arena of the equestrian market. Visit our website, incoursepublishing.com, to download a free PDF to help get you started. Jessica was such a perfect guest for us to have, um, given all of her background and what she wants to do and how she wants to help women business owners. So It was so cool to talk to her about what she's done, and um, she is so incredibly good at explaining everything and why you need it and what you do and um i just really enjoyed talking to her and i learned a lot
2: i i'm like still processing everything that she said <laughs> yeah. because it was like it was so good there was so much in there to think about like i feel like i'm going to listen to this episode over and over just to be able to get all of it because yeah you know like i mean there's so many parts to it and I've never thought about those before. I've mm. seen trademarks, I've seen copyrights, we've talked about patents, but the way she broke everything down into the needs for it and, you know, what situations you would want it for. I mean, I feel like we could have talked another hour about all the situations easily. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I like in my head I'm trying to relate it to everything in my, my life that I do. Right yep. from from my corporate job down to like doing horsehair bracelets, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, I know, I do same
1: thing. I'm like, oh man, let's let's <laughs> uh, let's look into this some more. But um, no, I think it it was really cool, and I think you know people need to know more about these things. I especially, you know, if you're just on a you know, starting the process of a business and you're passionate about it and you want to get it started. And, you know, a lot of people don't think about all of these important steps that come before you start serving customers. And, you know, the, her point of putting some money up front to protect yourself rather than getting stuck 10 years down the line and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars is so important.
2: I know, and that's what actually something that I was just going to say is. I think financially, we always, um, you know, get out there and start a business, and you start it with as little money, and you hope that you make enough money to continue to put into it. And I think that sometimes it seems like, from her perspective, it would be good for you to put those dollars away ahead of time before you launch your business to be able to go see somebody like her to help you in the process in the beginning, so that you are covered. You know, yeah, I think it's kind
1: of human nature to want to put that off down the road and save money in the beginning when you don't have a lot of it. But it, this is one of those things that you have to be diligent about and, um, and really invest in early.
2: Yeah. And and I one of the points that I really liked that she was talking about is like the brand and creating the experience and mm-hmm. building your brand and and kind of what that means because I think there was a lot of people out there who are like, oh, I'm gonna build my brand and don't know exactly what that means or where that is coming from or where to start, you know. Yep. And I, I liked her explanation of that. And it also was making me think. About do you watch Emily in Paris? Have you watched? Yes. Okay. And the sadly yes. And recently they had the episode about McDonald's and how the French experience at McDonald's Uh, is different, right? It's about the experience. Yeah. And that's that's what I was thinking about when she was talking about the experience with Emily. That's so funny. Yeah.
1: My husband, whenever we're on Netflix, he's like, why do you watch that show when you think it's so bad? I'm like,
2: I don't know, but I (laughs) I have to. I know. I can't stop. (laughs) The other night I was like, I just want to turn it off, but we can't. I was like, this is horrible. What am I doing? And then I continued to watch another episode. So yeah. (laughs) Click next episode. Yeah. Well, I'm re- I'm really glad that we had her on, that she had reached out to us. She was um, wonderful. And mm-hmm. I look forward to listening to this episode over and over again. Yep. So with that, we're going to have to wrap up for today and get on to the next things in our lives that we're doing. And um, you can find the links to today's guests and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th.
1: You can find out more at eqbusinesswomen.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Find Equestrian B2B wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review. I think of all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with their free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network.
2: Now go apply for a trademark.